What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello all and welcome to Burn It All Down. Lindsay Gibbs here. This isn't your regular weekly uh, group chat episode that will be in your feed in a couple of days. But here at Burn It All Down, um, the co-host, we really want to use this time during the coronavirus pandemic to elevate the voices of women in sports who have been impacted. And so this week, we simply conducted too many interviews to all fit in one episode. So we're giving you a bonus. Uh, In this episode, you're going to hear three conversations I talk with WNBA star Elizabeth Williams and pro volleyball player Chiaka Obagu, um, who were both in the middle of their professional seasons in Europe when the coronavirus really erupted on that continent. So they both tell me what that experience was like for them, how they made the decision to come back to the United States, and really how that will impact them financially. Then my co-host, Dr. Amir Rose Davis, the assistant professor of history and African-American studies at Penn State University, has an interview with Arizona basketball player Amari Carter about what it feels like to have her final year of NCAA basketball end so abruptly. Um, These are three really important conversations. Um, We're going to start off with um, Amira's conversation with Amari and then you'll hear from Elizabeth and then from Jaka. Thank you so much for listening and for supporting us at patreon.com slash burn it all down. Um, we really appreciate your um, help during this time and enjoy this special show. All right. I am joined now by Amari Carter. I am so thrilled to have Amari on the show. I actually had the opportunity to have Amari as a student when she was at Penn State, and then she took her talents to Arizona, um, which is warmer, has a lot more sun than State College, um, and has had a terrific grad year out there. And I wanted to hit up Amari to talk about the season that Arizona had that has been kind of lost in the shuffle of the abrupt end of of the basketball season and the canceling of March Madness, but then also talk about what that looks like um, to have the tournament end so abruptly and or really never start um, and what it means, especially for somebody like Amari who was in her grad year. So that's what we're going to chop it up about today so first of all welcome Amari to burn it all down hello thank you for having me of course so I just have to start you guys have had a tremendous year uh 24 and 7 12 and 6 in the conference a number of uh top 10 wins including an overtime win over Stanford who was ranked number four at the time y'all really came out of nowhere and surprised a lot of people this year what has it been like um to be on this Arizona women's basketball team um for this season um it's just been an amazing experience I think uh, in the beginning the very beginning of the season no one expected us to do um what we did this season we didn't start the season ranked um and that just when we got our first ranking, we're like, okay, we're a good team. And then we kept moving up, and we're like, okay, we're a really good team. And we finished non-conference undefeated, uh, and that was one of our goals that we passed. And we're like, okay, now it's time to go into conference play. And conference play was really tough because uh, we started our first three games on the road, um, and it was the first conference game was Arizona State at Arizona State. Uh, a rivalry game, my first Pac-12 game, mm. uh, but it was really fun. <laughs> like that, that's a, a lot to take in. And Penn State didn't have rivals, right? <laughs> so we never, um, never had like a rivalry game. So like we've had big games, but it's not the same. Uh, 
but that is just like really fun. Um, and it's unfortunate that, that we didn't get to finish it off the way we wanted to. Hey, uh, because we were going to be uh, in the tournament for the first time in uh, I don't know how like many fifteen. Years. I think it was yeah, like fifteen years or something crazy like that. Uh, we finished the season off with like that big win over Stanford. Uh, we were going to host probably more than like we were going to host the first two rounds. So we had so much to look forward to, and it was just. It just sucks <laughs> not to be able to get that. Yeah. No, and, you know, th- one of the things that stuck out to me when I really realized you guys had something special going on is um, I saw images of your fans, um, your home fans. That that arena was packed. Um, so it really yeah. seemed like y'all had a really good fan base, too. Absolutely. Um, our fans were amazing. Uh, all year and we had uh, we just had good fans all year like from the community they really bought into what we had going uh, and they came up and supported like I met some fans that said they were recruiting fans to come to games that didn't even know anything about basketball mm. they would just want to bring people to have like be in a fun environment and that was really cool and then we had big games like we had games we had over 10,000 fans like that's that's not very common in women's basketball so just to support like Tucson is definitely a basketball town. Mm. And when we, our team started producing and started winning games, make big games, even the games we were supposed to win, it's still a fun environment to be in. And I think the fans really bought into that. Yeah. And I remember, so, you know, as it's hard now to look back, but things progressed really fast. And originally it was just the announcement that they were going to limit and, and control fan attendance. And I remember when they, um, you know, announced that thinking about the impact that it would have to, to play a game with no fans in front of, you know, empty seats. Um, and then very quickly from there, it was followed up by announcing that the entire, you know, tournament had been canceled what was your, you know, immediate reaction when you heard that news? Uh, when we first, uh, it was first announced that there would be no fans. It, it was disappointing. We were, I was upset personally. I was like, this is our first, uh, this is my first tournament. This is uh, our first tournament in a really long time. Most of us, a lot of us have never been in a tournament and this will be our experience. Um, so that was disappointing. And it's like, okay, but okay, I'll deal with it. It's fine. We'll still be there. You still play. And, and then they announced that we weren't going to be playing at all. They canceled the tournament and it was just, I I didn't know how to feel. (laughs) I, I was for like me and some other seniors just didn't know what, like what we were thinking at the moment. It was just like, it was so raw. Uh, the emotions and we were actually on our way to practice we were <laughs> we were still like in the gym and things and just in case because you never know and it was probably less than 10 minutes before we were walking over to practice and we found out hmm. and then we came in and we sat and we talked as a team uh and it was just I think a lot of us was just trying to process it in that moment because it was so new like it literally 10 minutes they announced it right before we were supposed to go to the gym. And it was just such a, like, raw, emotional um, time. Yeah. It still feels a bit surreal. Yeah, I, I still don't believe this is happening. Yeah. Now, you know, it's, you know, we talked a little bit about this, but a lot of, it's so hard, especially with basketball, especially when anything can happen in March. And I know that we've seen since then a lot of people eager to crown Oregon um, you know, saying this was their year, especially because of Sabrina. Um, a lot of people, you know, Don Staley had had a bone to pick with that because, you know, they finished <laughs> ranked number one, but really the loss of the tournament takes away those Cinderella stories or those teams who've been so hot, who are writing their own history. Um, I think you guys needed like two more wins to set an all, a all-time school record for the most wins yeah. in the season. Um, you know, that's kind of what we miss from from the tournament is those other stories that have yet to be written. Now we have no idea what could have happened. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very surreal. Um, 
I didn't. I never thought it would end this way. I thought it would be uh, our team not like the like the possibilities would have been team not being good enough to make the tournament or a uh, bunch of injuries and that caused a lot. But something like very tangible or like something you could control. And this is, I think it hurts more because you can't control it, so you just have to deal with it. Mm. Exactly. <laughs> I think that's the biggest thing. Now, you know, the NCAA has talked, you know, they talk all the time. Um, But one of the (laughs) things that they are thinking about is how to change eligibility. Um, A lot of it will express uh, only affect spring sports. So a lot of people Mm -hmm. finishing up winter sports, this is it. And especially for seniors, you know, I saw that your coach, Adia Barnes, who's had an amazing season, (laughs) right? Like just coach of the year running, just like phenomenal coach. Um, but Scott Van Pelt was soliciting photos of seniors um, and to celebrate senior nights for those who didn't get them. And, you know, she said about the group of y'all on the team, this group was about to lead us to our first tournament in 15 years. Not only that, we were going to likely host the first two rounds after winning 24 games this season. We needed two more wins to break the school record, an incredible group of young women and shouted y'all out to have your senior night, but particularly for you, Amari, who was in their grad year um to have your collegiate Mm -hmm. career end like this um seems like particularly burdensome oh yeah for sure um and i'm still i'm still upset about i'm still sad about it it still hurts i don't think it will like thinking about college basketball in the tournament i don't think i'll ever look at it the same because it hurts but um yeah like i and it, I think it hurts a little more because I wasn't going to come back and play basketball because of you. Like I, um, after my fourth year, after I graduated from Penn State, I was done. Um, I was looking for jobs and I was going to go on with the rest of my life. Um, so when I did decide to come back, I wanted to come back into a program that I knew was going to do something special. And we did. Um, and to not have like the final any not to have that final buzzer go off. Um, I think that that is something that I'll always remember mm. about this time. And it, and I think one of the things that's so difficult is that we're facing this unprecedented pandemic and we're dealing with lives on the line and we're dealing with these really heavy things, but there's all of this kind of unprocessed grief that we don't get to name, like the uh, being upset about sports, right? Being upset about the proms or the commencements or, you know, even the big trips that people have planned, they seem insignificant in the face of thinking about life and death, but they are no less painful. Um, and that is its own kind of grief of all of the things that were kind of upended um, and interrupted by this. So, you know, I think we're definitely trying to hold space for these other, these other feelings, because I think it's really weighing on people. It's really contributing to mental health issues to just, you know, people having anxiety and depression, because um, it's not even about a return to normalcy, but it's about mourning a range of things, including, you know, lost opportunity. Yeah, I I 100% agree. Like it's it's so impressive. We don't we have no idea what to do. Um, like everything's shut down. We can't even be in the same spaces with a lot of people. And uh, we were, I think, right before that practice when it was announced, it was the last time my whole team was together in one spot. And we, I don't think we will ever be in the same space ever again. Mm. Like that's that's crazy to think about when you spend so many days in a row traveling playing practicing meetings food meals all these other things and you'll never that's the last memory you have with that group um i take it back we have one more meal but that was the last time we'll probably ever be um be together in one space that's a lot to process uh having your uh, basketball career end that's a lot to process in itself and have it end so abruptly and so out of your control that's a lot to process. People have <clears throat> dreams of like playing professionally. That's you don't know where that's going to go. Um, they have like the NBA, WNBA, overseas leagues. Uh, don't know what it's going to look like. How they're going to operate. Um, so it's just a lot to process. In and that you'd have we don't know. Right. So we're, we're living right in the moments, and 
how do you plan for certain things? Like, do I apply for a job? Do I look for an agent? Like, things like that. There's a lot of athletes um, in that position right now. And I think it's unfair for people to uh, say that um, sports, like athletes, should not focus on uh, the disappointment of their sport ending uh, because a lot of people train and put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into their sport that you watch on ESPN and you watch on networks and come to games for. Um, so it's really, I think it's really a time to be uh, show a little uh, empathy, mm-hmm. if anything. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing is usually when I talk to college athletes, I end up like, okay, so what's next for you? Like, what's your next steps? But it's too, like you just said, like, it's too hard to even think about next week, mind you, you know, the next month, the next year, like we don't know what that looks like. So it's, it's, it's also just this uncertainty uh, of your future, but um, yeah, it's tough. There's no, there's yeah, that Yeah. That uncertainty is anxiety inducing. Like how do you plan for something when you have, every week or every couple of days, there's another shutdown, there's another restriction, um, travel bans. Like there's so many things to plan for and you don't, you just don't know. Exactly. Well, I know how incredible you are. So even though things are uncertain, um, I know that you have, you know, the skills and, and the mental fortitude to, to navigate <laughs> this. So I, um, you know, we will all be here cheering you on. I'm personally always in your corner, but um, I am sorry that this season ended like it did. I am so pleased you had the run you had um, and, and a, a terrific collegiate career. Um, and, you know, we will always, we'll keep playing highlights. <laughs> we'll keep, you know, trying to celebrate and trying to hold space for all of the abruptly, you know, ended possibilities that we never got to see, but, you know, uh, keep doing what you do and, um, you know, take care. Thank you. I will. Um, good space though. Hi, everyone. Uh, Lindsay here joining um, one of our favorite recurring guests here, Elizabeth Williams. Uh, She is a WNBA All-Star and EuroLeague star as well and has just made it back stateside after, um, you know, being uh, kind of caught (laughs) in between uh, seasons with the Euro League. So, Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming and talking to us today. How are you feeling? Uh, feeling good. Um, just trying to adjust to being back stateside. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you, tell us what what team you were on and what you were doing over in Europe besides just like having a billion blocks per game, which I kept seeing highlights of all the time. have the blocks um yeah so this overseas season I was playing for Fenerbahce in Turkey in Istanbul Turkey um we had just we finished up Turkish Cup um that was March 3rd through 7th and then we were just playing uh we're kind of wrapping up EuroLeague um and had some Turkish League games as well so we played our last EuroLeague game on the 11th that was the quarterfinal round the first game of the quarterfinals um and then not long after that EuroLeague announced that they would be suspending um and then we actually played turkish league that weekend but we played with no fans um and then this week um turkish league finally announced that on thursday or wednesday or thursday they finally announced that the league would be suspended um, so we all hopped on flights on Friday uh, <laughs> back because we heard that, you know, the U.S. might be shutting borders. So everyone was kind of scrambling. Um, so, yeah, now I'm back in Atlanta. I mean, so 
just I want so people understand because I think it can get confusing between the different leagues and Euro League. Can you explain a little bit how the system over the over in Europe for basketball works um, when you're kind of playing in two leagues concurrently? Yeah, so uh, generally teams um, will play like well, all teams will play in their domestic league. So we play in Turkish league, um, and then a couple teams will play in either Euro League or Euro Cup. Okay. Um, and in that case, you're competing against other teams throughout Europe. Um, so Euro League games are once a week. Turkish League games are once a week. So some teams play twice a week. And then if your team uh, isn't in Euro Cup or Euro League, you're only playing once a week with your domestic league. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, so at what point did it hit? over there like in turkey did you start paying attention to the coronavirus updates and start thinking this might actually impact um me personally and this league when when did you start was it was it february was it not till march um i didn't think it would affect the league until the nba once the nba announced their suspension i think that's when all the the leagues kind of realized like oh maybe something's gonna shift or change um but turkey in particular was really late to the party um partially because you know they were saying like hey we don't really have a lot of cases here they were really strict about their borders with you know with italy and china and, and canceling those flights so they um like their government generally wasn't super concerned um and we, our league ended up being the last one to be canceled um, along with, I think, Russian league and like the British league or something. Um, but like me personally, I think once the NBA announced their suspension, I was like, well, now this is more of a possibility. Um, and then obviously EuroLeague soon followed and then, yeah. How scary is it to, I mean, it's been scary enough, I know for me, to be just following these updates and stuff. And I'm, you know, in DC, in the home where I live full time, um, you know, in the country. How, how hard is it to kind of be following these updates when you're also hearing rumors about, um, you know, Trump randomly announcing that the flights all might be canceled? Like, is there a sense of, of panic? Um, does that make it harder uh, to be so far away from home? Uh, it makes it harder because, like, I try really hard to, it's it's very hard to watch him, but I try to watch <laughs> Um so I at least have an idea of what's going on, because yeah. sometimes it's hard to follow things on Twitter when you're, you know, seven or eight hours ahead, um, but, like, luckily those press conferences were usually at a time of day where I could try to watch and keep up, and so I try to, like, tell my teammates like hey this is what's going on and then when that first travel ban happened uh people were starting to scramble and we we technically still had games so people weren't really leaving uh like some people wanted to leave and then Turkish League was like no like we're playing games yeah it was really weird um so it was just kind of it was a mess. This, a so bit. you're told you can't leave or you'll be breaking your contract. Well, at that point, um, our, my agent reached out to me. Allison reached out to me. Um, and as long, like, as well as the Turkish agent. Um, and the Turkish agent was trying to, like, reassure that, you know, like, we're safe. Like, you know, our health is number one, but we're fine. Um, and then Allison was just saying, like, if you f- if you want to leave, like, we can talk to the club and like make that happen. Um, but at that point, we were just kind of waiting on the Turkish Federation to make it official. Um, we didn't just want to like bounce, and then the team would have a game the next day. <laughs> so, um, but other players in Turkey just left anyway. Uh, so it was just kind of like a personal choice. It was just kind of personal choice. Um, what was it like playing with the games with no fans? Uh, that was weird, especially because we were playing Gala and they're our rivals. So that game's usually insane. Like the fans, like there's just crazy security. 
Um, apparently last year, like the fans were throwing bottles at, at Kelsey Plum. Um, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, well, that's maybe too far. <laughs> yeah. But that game's just, it's always crazy. Like when we played it at home for the first half of the season, like it was standing room only just insane. So to play that game with no fans was kind of, it was kind of awkward initially. Um, Cause when you're going through warmups, it's like, it's almost like a scrimmage because you're used to like carrying all the fans and stuff screaming and warm-ups. Um, but then obviously you start and like you understand the competitiveness of the game, but then there are moments in the game where like things get heated, but there's no like fan reaction. So it's really hard to to feel like you're in like this, you know, rivalry game environment. So Yeah. Yeah, that's I can't even fathom. How much during all this are you in touch with other WNBA players? Um, through I mean, I know there are some in Italy where, of course, the virus, um, you know, was was really or and still is really spreading fast and dangerous. Um, of course, there have been players in China. How much are the WNBA players in touch with one another um, throughout this time? Oh, I mean, I think we, in general, when we're overseas, we try to talk to each other a lot and communicate these types of things. Um, And then I obviously was still really involved with the EC um, and, and, you know, trying to be on calls and figure out what's happening with the league. And and especially once the NBA announced like what they were doing, um, you know, it was like, what's going to happen with us and like all that kind of stuff. Um, so, like, I was talking to those players, and then overseas, like, the people that were still playing in EuroLeague, um, we were just trying to figure out, like, what the next step was, because, um, like, some leagues, like Poland, for example, they just said the season was completely canceled, and then other leagues, like France, who have teams in EuroLeague, including their men's, some of the men's teams, they're like, all right, well, we're suspended until first week of April and then players were saying well like kids are going to be out of school until at least April 7th so they don't know if it's going to start after that so like it was just we all of us were talking to each other and kind of confused as to what's actually going to happen yeah it sounds like just absolute madness and I mean at what point how much does I guess it's a little bit different for you all. I've been talking to some, you know, LPGA and WTA players who, of course, are paid by the tournament, you know, based off of winning. So when these tournaments are canceled, you know, those the opportunity for money just goes away. Contract wise, though, I know a lot of players make the bulk of their money overseas, um, although thanks to the work of the um, you all in the collective bargaining agreement, that's changing a little bit. Uh, but how much is the financial picture a factor of wanting to, you know, earn the most of that paycheck as you possibly can? And um, I've read a few places that there's some concern that in some of the smaller leagues, um, less, you know, that they'll use this as an excuse maybe not to pay at all because the, the seasons didn't get finished. So how much of, I guess, is just is the contracts and the financial picture a factor? Yeah, that's a huge part of it. Um, we make a lot of our bonus money around now, you know, like EuroLeague Final Four, people make bonuses of league championships playoffs um so for players like a lot of players make a good amount of money like around this time of year so that's money that I don't think you know teams are gonna pay based on your current standing you know um and then they're probably gonna argue that since you know they're out of work the sponsors are not working so they're not generating any money to basically pay us so it's going to be interesting because at the end of the day, I think FIBA is going to be the ultimate decider as far as what teams are going to like have to pay. Because I, I, I don't think there's anything contractually that considers like this type of crazy circumstance. Um, right. yeah. So it's going to be like team preference. And then for the teams that try to fight, I think FIBA is going to make like a final decision on, you know, how much they actually have to pay everybody that's 
It's so scary, though. And then, of course, you get here. And like you said, I mean, the, we don't know when um, sports are going to return. Um, you know, there's uh, all the focus has been on the NBA and whether or not, you know, they're going to be able to salvage any of the season. But, of course, if they do try and salvage a season, that could very easily run into WNBA season. And there are a lot of teams that share arenas. Um, and, uh, it just, it gets really complicated really quickly. Um, it does look like the latest, I don't think it's officially official, but that the Olympics will be, um, at least postponed Though we don't know, like I said, anything, um, more concrete than that, but what are the convert, like, what's the latest that you're hearing about this season and how involved is the executive committee in, in these ongoing conversations? Yeah. Um, yeah. As far as I know, the Olympics are being postponed. Okay. Um, yeah. Because I'm pretty sure we got an email from, I haven't like checked. I saw the email in my inbox from Carol. Yeah. Also, okay. what it's about. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, as far as the W season, like you said, um, there are teams that share facilities and, and arenas with NBA teams. So that's going to create uh, some more conflict. Um, I think with the Olympics being postponed, that might actually help us a little bit because um, we might end up, you know, using that break that was initially in the schedule um, to like move things around if things start later. Um, but it's still kind of up in the air. Uh, we had a call with, with Kathy last week, but there wasn't really a lot of it was just kind of let's wait and see. Cause we're just in that, <laughs> we're in that yeah. right now where you just kind of have to wait and see. Um, but I know that the league really, wants to make sure that we have a season. Um, so, yeah. Just, yeah, because you're just coming off of, I mean, we have, like, I was hoping to have you on just to talk about the CBA and then all of this stuff happened. So it's, um, you know, it feels like that was news about four years ago, <laughs> the way just like this news cycle is going. Um, but, you know, you did. I mean, there's this, you ratified this huge collective bargaining agreement and all this momentum. And what do you, how do you think that would impact the league if there was a situation where um, this season couldn't happen? Oh, yeah, that would be really devastating. Um, we pushed so hard you know with the league to make sure that we could get uh an agreement out that was really you know great for both for both sides um and we did have a lot of momentum so hopefully <laughs> something like we can make something out of it you know hopefully whether games start later or um even if we actually do start on time but just have to move things around um i think it would just be really important to have, you know, some type of live sport back, but more specifically us, how, how we've been kind of pushing for, for like women's empowerment and, you know, making that big deal uh, happen. So, yeah, there's, there's momentum and you don't want to lose that, um, you know, that momentum, obviously health and safety comes first, but it's, it's hard to, it, you know, I, I agree. I, I would be devastated for sure if that couldn't happen. So how are you as, I mean, athletes, from what I hear, it's, you know, schedules and consistency mean a lot. How are you dealing with uh, having to stay inside? And um, I'm guessing you don't like have a basketball court in your apartment, though. That would be great if you did. And um, uh, uh, But, you know, how, how are you dealing with just kind of like, I guess the the thought of, you know, being in this social distancing world for a month or two and being an elite athlete and needing to kind of stay in game shape. Yeah. Um, I mean, actually right now I'm just using this time to chill. So <laughs> we did have, we are coming off of like EuroLeague and Turkish league games. So 
I'm not really doing much of anything, uh, which is a first. Um, so I'm kind of trying to get used to that. Um, and tr- I'm trying to do stuff in the house that like I've just like been putting off, like organizing the office and like doing things that I'm just like, oh, you know, I'll do it later. Um, so that's just I don't know. It's just different. It's it's kind of weird. Like you said, not having a schedule. Um, I tend to like make up a schedule, whether it's like, all right, at this time I'm going to do laundry and then at this time I'm going to work on the puzzle and then. Like, <laughs> you schedule yeah. puzzle time. That's perfect. <laughs> Some things just so I don't feel like I'm wasting the day away, even though I am kind of wasting the day away. Yeah. Um, but it, it's technically really only day like three of quarantine for me. So, oh, right. <laughs> if you ask me, you know, on Friday or Saturday, I might be banging my head against the wall. You're not uh, going quite as mad as I am uh, yet. Um, well, okay. A couple of fun questions to end this with. Um, free agency was wild this year. <laughs> How yes. is it? Did you expect it to be that e- exciting? And what do you think about this uh, Atlanta team? <laughs> uh, yeah, I was not expecting any of that at all. Like... <laughs> Like, I don't know. I just, free agency, like, there's always moves, right? Like, it's fine, whatever. But I just, I felt like it was just day after day, one thing after another, and then just trades, and yeah, so it was a lot. Um, But, yeah, like, our team just, it's just a really different look. Um, Like, I mean, obviously, we have some of the same pieces, but I think it's a lot more different than people would expect. Um, But I think Coach did a good job of bringing in people and pieces that she felt like we were lacking in or that we could be better in. So um, it should be exciting. And we're going to be in a new arena, like new logo, like all these new things. So I think just generally like a, a new feel. So, yeah. Have you had a time, have you been able to reach out to any of your new teammates? I guess, who's it? Courtney and um, Glory and Kalani, I think, are the three big names. I'm sure I'm missing a billion people. Um, (laughs) Have you had any chance to talk to anyone? Well, Courtney was playing in Turkey, so we saw each other, like, a number of times. And so we joked, oh, hey, teammate. Oh, that's good. (laughs) And, yeah, we, we played them in the finals of Turkish Cup, too. So we talked a little bit then. Um, and then I don't know if I talked to Glory after. I, I saw Glory when we played them for EuroLeague, but I can't remember if at that. I don't think at that point the thing could happen. Yeah. Um, but, like, we have our, like, our group chat with the players. So we've all, like, said hey and yeah figured it out from there well and I guess finally are you now that you have this downtime are there any specific um shows that you are looking forward to binging or movies you're looking forward to binging um now now that you've got a little time to do that um well I so I watched like seven seasons of Shameless (laughs) watching it um, so I'm gonna start that again. Um, I've never yeah. seen that. I guess you're. I guess you like it. You're saying it's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's different. It's sometimes it's a lot. Okay. <laughs> but I I like like the the root of the show. Okay. Gotcha. Um, I always watch Jeopardy, and now that it's on Netflix, been binging that. Um, I feel like that is such an Elizabeth Williams thing to binge. That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> you don't actually have to watch it. Like you can just listen. So like I can be in the kitchen or doing something else, and it can just be in the background. Perfect. Yeah, just some noise. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, listen. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm really glad that you got back. Um, got back stateside or back in Atlanta and. Hopefully, hopefully we will be seeing you playing basketball in the WNBA sooner rather than later. Um, And thanks for joining us. For having me.
Hi, Lindsay Gibbs here. Uh, thank you, flamethrowers, for listening to Burn It All Down during this um, wild time. Hopefully we are keeping you entertained um, as you are practicing social distancing. Um, very special guest with us here today. Uh, we have Chiaka Obagu, who is a professional volleyball player and a women member of our U.S. national team. She was a star at the University of Texas. And we're just so appreciative that uh, Chiaka has joined us today to talk a little bit about how uh, the coronavirus has impacted her life. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, thank you for having me. So there is no professional league, obviously, in the United States for women's volleyball right now. So you play overseas, which we're used to talking about uh, on this podcast. We talk a lot about overseas um, with for the basketball players. Um, and this past year you were playing overseas in Italy. So how did that opportunity come about? Just tell, tell us a little bit about how, how you got to Italy to play professionally. Yeah, um, of course. A little background. Um, as you mentioned, there is no domestic league in the States. So fortunately and unfortunately, um, a lot of us who do aspire to play professionally in volleyball have to play overseas in order to continue our careers. Um, so for me, that opportunity happened as soon as I graduated the University of Texas. I was a um, winter graduate, so that presented me the opportunity to leave. This was also in 2017, to leave um, in January to continue my career um, to play overseas. Um, this past season, specifically, um, the contract was just presented to me by my agent while I was actually playing in Poland. So this is technically like my third season overseas. Um, a really notable team. I was obviously very excited to play for them. And um, it's a little disheartening just to see how the country is being impacted by um, coronavirus, but also just sports and women in sports. And yeah, so unfortunately, my time ended um, for personal reasons with this team. But yeah, that's a little background on overseas. So when did you start with this team in Italy? I started with them in October. Okay. Professional seasons overseas start around September, October and end around anywhere from April to mid-May. We all start to hear a little bit about the coronavirus, uh, if you're paying really close attention to the news about it being in China, around, I would say, the beginning of this year. When did it start? When did you start hearing about it? And when you first heard about it being in China, did you think that it would have any impact on your life? Um, I would say that for us, we started hearing rumblings about it in January. And okay. I think something that's crazy for me specifically and my team, we were actually in China early December. Competing oh, wow. China. Yeah. It's now that I look back and think about it, I'm like, that's insane. Like the pure coincidence is unreal. But um, so, yeah, so our team started hearing rumblings about it in January. I think like most of the country, we kind of saw it as like a distant issue, like never expected it, obviously, to grow to the levels that it's grown to and impact so many people. So um, we would we had heard about it. And I think February is when we understood that this was probably leading to be a global crisis. And that's when um, we started hearing news about there being cases in Italy. At this point, were you getting any um, guidance from the your coaches or the, the team, you know, the leaders of the team, um, the league itself um, about safety precautions or about the disease? Or were you just finding out all of your information from the news? Um, I would say mid-February, we the information that was presented to us was kind of a little vague, just that there have been cases of a flu-like virus that had been going around in Italy. And so um, the advice that was given to us is to make sure that we're not in like the super touristy, heavily populated areas for the time being. So for me, um, my city where I was located in Canagliano is 40 miles 
um, north of Venice. So Venice is like typically where I would spend my off days, especially if I had guests. And that happened to be um, the, at that time, and I think still now, um, the most affected area in Italy. Oh, wow. So you it immediately kind of impacted your life. Um, and we're hearing a lot about how quickly things spread in Italy. A lot of people are telling us in the United States, you know, that we're just kind of a few weeks uh, behind that. What did you see personally once things started to, um, you know, the spread of the disease started to escalate? Yeah, I mean... Personally, for me, being a volleyball player, I think um, just the messaging about obviously basic hygiene started to present itself more. Just yes. Typically would be like, okay, well, I hope we're all washing our hands right now. Yeah. Um, I hope we're practicing basic hygiene, but just they kept reiterating that message. Um, when things started to get real for me is when we had our first suspension, like cancellation of matches of league plays. I remember, um, I believe it was around February 23rd or something like that, we were supposed to play a match and um, they canceled that match the morning of, I remember. Um, I think the team had already driven six hours to us anyways. I felt so bad for them. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's when things started to get real. Um, And then we resumed play behind closed doors March 7th and then I remember we were supposed to play March 7th and um, a few other games were supposed to play the next day, March 8th. And the next day they suspended the league um, indefinitely. So that's kind of when I started to realize that, um, yeah, this is definitely going to impact not only um, us and sports, but just people in this country in general. And um, up until Two to three weeks ago, when I was in Italy, I thought everything kind of still looked normal, even though I understood that a lot of things were starting to um, get canceled as far as like schools and things like that. But yeah, until they started closing everything but supermarkets and um, pharmacies, things honestly looked relatively normal. So you did play, your team played one game without fans, one match without fans, right? we played one, yeah. What was that experience like? <laughs> uh, I mean, it was it was bizarre. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think we all understood that it was for precautionary measures, and we completely appreciated that. But, yeah, I think it – I mean, it's just not how you envision yourself playing a game. I think part of sports is not only – Um, what the athletes do on the court or the field, but it's the entire engagement of the fans, of the staff, and just not having that um, arena packed, especially the gym that we played in. They typically sell out home matches. Um, Just not having that engagement just felt like, I don't know, felt a little off. It honestly felt more like a friendly match or a practice versus a game that counts towards points and stuff like that. Yeah. So at what point did you decide? So the league play, the league is suspended. What were your options at that point? I'd assume that one option would be to stay there until things, you know, maybe return to normal if that's possible. Um, What what were your options uh, and kind of what made you decide to come back to Texas? Yeah. So Technically, it was a government-mandated decree that all sporting events, live events, any type of um, public event that would gather a lot of people be suspended until April 3rd. Um, So when we got this news, I think around March 8th is when we got the news that everything would be suspended for the next month. Um, Obviously, one of the options was just to stay there and see... um, how things go and at that point nothing had really been completely shut down like schools were shut down obviously live concerts sporting events all that stuff was canceled um but our day-to-day still seemed relatively normal we were still practicing um i think when it got to the point where the government obviously issued everyone to 
social distance and be self-quarantined and businesses and other establishments started to close, I think that's when things got a little um, kind of scary for me. And so I, yeah, would weigh out my options with my agent and um, seeing that at the time America hadn't been hit so hard and thinking about my family and just wanting to essentially just like be home with my family and the people that um, care about me and support me and just wanting to kind of embrace that moment a little bit. Also knowing that um, things in Italy have been pretty tough. And although everyone is very hopeful, I think just hearing every day the numbers escalating um, just made me realize that at that point in time, being there wasn't necessarily good for like my mental well-being. Yeah, it's so hard to be away from loved ones anyways, um, I would assume. And then, um, you know, when there's a crisis, even more so. So but when you decided, was this before or after um, uh, Trump had announced that there was some sort of um, travel uh, ban from Europe? This was after. I had thought about it before, but funny story. My boyfriend calls me. It is 2.30 a.m. Italian time, um, Central Eastern European time or whatever. And he is freaking out. He's like, Trump just issued this travel ban. Um, They're closing down the borders, et cetera, et cetera. And it's 2.30 in the morning. I'm already disoriented. I'm freaking out. I start... I'm looking at my phone and I'm getting all of these messages and missed calls from people who are also trying to inform me of this. And um, I'm reaching out to other Americans who are also playing in the league and just asking, obviously everyone's asleep at this point. So yeah. So I basically stayed up from then two 30 the rest of the morning. I remember having um, weights and practice that morning too, just kind of trying to process everything. And I think that day, although I hadn't made my final decision, I think that day I was like, for my health, whether that's physical or mental, like, I don't think I can carry on like this here. Right. Now, was this, are there, how, how did this impact, like, your contract um, and, and everything? Was this business-wise for you, were you breaking a contract? Were you giving up money? Like, like what what goes into making that decision? Yeah, so those are definitely options I had to think about. Um Essentially, right now, because the league has not been officially um, canceled, they're still um, preparing to continue on, hopefully after April 3rd. Um, I essentially terminated my contract. Okay. Um, And yeah. And that's got to be a tough decision because, like you said, this you said this was a big league, um, one of the kind of premier leagues that you were part of. Yes, definitely. Um, And not only that, just business aside I think for me it was difficult because I had really grown to love the entire organization that I played for Mm, especially the players and the staff and I knew that leaving obviously would um, not necessarily disrupt everything that we've been working on but in a sense yes because we obviously started the season with 14 players and having one or two less um, completely just impacts the rest of the season. Um, yeah, but I definitely had to weigh the business side of it as well. But for me, I think just be, being able to be with my family and my boyfriend during this time and also just, I don't know, be able to have more of a peace of mind to me was more valuable than the monetary value. That, that makes a lot of sense of course now look volleyball is a sport that has in the past uh, decade overtaken women's basketball for participation numbers and um you know it feels like it's just on this upward track and more people have been paying attention to um, women's professional leagues here in the united states um lately um you know we know we now have a few established and i wrote for the newsletter that i write power plays one of my kind of predictions going into this year was just what a 
big year it was going to be for volleyball since the sport was going to get increased attention at the Olympics. And now we're faced with a situation where we don't know if there's going to be an Olympics. We don't know um, uh, if there's going to be a postponed. There's so many question marks. I wanted to ask you, because you play for the U.S. team. So what what have you heard and how has this impacted um, the national team so far? Yeah, so um, basically from what I've been told, the IOC um, is continuing on their plans to host the Olympics in Japan, um, but obviously excluding any other... Um, major crises that are going on but um yeah I think as far as I know they're trying to continue hosting the Olympics I know that a couple um governing bodies like national teams have spoken out um in hopes to obviously postpone the Olympics in light of everything that is going on um I think for us right now we our national team is based in Anaheim California and I'm sure oh, you yeah. have heard, yeah, right now, um, California is on like a mandated um, self-quarantine. I think that's the right language. I'm not sure. Um, until I believe they said April 19th. So obviously that affects the girls who are now training in the gym. There were girls who um, whose pro seasons ended early based on the fact that that's just how their league had it or injuries or whatever, um, who were training already in Anaheim. So, I, I mean, my heart goes out to them, too, because obviously not all of us are from California. So to have to move away from our homes to train and then realize that um, this situation is very serious and now they don't really have a space or avenue to train um, has to be tough. And then on top of that, you're away from your family and loved ones. Um, so as far as our national team, I think we are all just trying to stay as positive as we can and check in on each other. I've definitely received a lot of um, love and support from my teammates and I'm hoping to do the same um, for them during this time. And I think right now it's just how can we keep our mind and bodies as um, in shape and sharp as we can during this time, because there are a lot of unknown variables, but yeah, I mean, it's a lot we can't control and we're just, waiting to see what the IOC ultimately decides. How are you staying? Um, are, are, do you have any way to train <laughs> um, right now? Or is it just kind of working on your general fitness levels? I think it's just working on our general fitness levels. Um, I think volleyball is unique because, I don't know, I guess I would compare it to working on like your shots. If you had a hoop at your, in your backyard or neighborhood basketball court, it's a little different, but volleyball, us playing an indoor sport makes it a little bit more difficult to hone in on specific skills. I mean, there are things you can do in your home, um, like pass a ball against the wall or set against the wall, but there are certain things that you kind of need another player or the equipment to um, do specific skills, but yeah, I think right now, most of us are just focusing on general fitness. What would, I mean, I hate to, um, you know, even put this out there, but what, what would the impact be on women's volleyball if these Olympics are canceled? Um, and and how much do you think that kind of hurts the sport overall? I've thought about this. I've thought about what the Olympics being canceled, which I hope it would at most be postponed um, mm-hmm. which is for women's volleyball. I think right now there is a big buzz for women's volleyball. I'm pretty sure that they're saying that um, volleyball is like the fastest growing youth women's youth sport right now. Yeah. Maybe a youth sport, um, which is amazing. So with all of that attention that we've been garnering just um, overall with volleyball, I think the Olympic stage honestly is the biggest stage for volleyball to be seen in this country um we don't have the luxury obviously of having our own league so this is kind of like our chance to showcase the sport and obviously showcase the sport at the highest level and for that not to happen I think would possibly hurt our chances of getting a league in America sooner but 
yeah, again, that's something that's out of our control. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough because obviously we all want to do what's best for the health and safety of, you know, the world. Um, Definitely. But it's tough when, you know, these decisions, because the Olympics are such a huge opportunity for women's sports, you know, um, you know, it, I think the impact of such a decision could, you know, disproportionately impact women's sports as well. Um, especially sports like volleyball that are really trying, you know, to, um, capitalize on this momentum that is, that is gaining on the grassroots level. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining burn it all down. And I hope that when next time we talk to you, it's going to be good news. We're going to be talking about the Olympics. Mm -hmm. Um, we're going to be talking about your continued pro career and we're going to be telling everyone how they can watch you and cheer you on for now. What's the best way to kind of follow you any social media accounts or anything that you want to plug? (laughs) Uh, sure. Um, right now I'm on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is Chiaco Babu, just my first and last name. And then you can also find me on Instagram at Chiaka 11 and that's C-H-I-A-K-A. You'll probably find me because I'm sure there's not a lot of Chiacas on Instagram or Twitter. <laughs> so yeah. Awesome. Well, I think, look, I think social media is all we've got right now. So, uh, <laughs> that's all. thank you so much for joining the show. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I love it. Um, yeah. So I hope you are staying safe and sane and hopefully, like you said, we will have better news. <laughs> <laughs>